0: i I want to take a minute i don 't normally do this, but uh, my wife uh, you know i 'll tell stories every now and then of my family, and nine tenths of the time I remember to ask them permission, and I get reminded if I forget to ask them permission, but I do have permission to tell a story this morning, but before I tell that story i 'm going to brag on my wife because I love her and she 's amazing. Um, is that okay for a moment i don 't do that very often but but my wife, when I met her, yeah. I'll have to tell you a clap. She's actually with my son at his season-ending Mosul tournament this morning, so that, that's a rare Sunday she's not here. Um, but my wife, when I met her, was a, uh, a student leader in college, and about the time we uh, got engaged and got married, she got the award from the first lady. Out of 3,500 women, she got the award for the top academic and leadership woman on campus, and I definitely married up. And since that time, she's just... She's just she's just gone on to do some amazing stuff she started the largest one of the largest counseling ministries in tulsa founded it and started it and she's taught at three colleges and she usually ends up being the teacher where everybody's begging to have her class because for some reason she turns every class into like it's not quite but it's near group therapy where people actually get their lives changed not just learn and they love it and she's just she's just amazing um She's the type of student when she was in college and doing a master's degree. She was the 4.0 student. Actually, she got a 3.98 in undergrad because she she took a beginner's racquetball class that happened to take it the same semester. All the guys who win the tournament every year on campus decided to take it for a slough-off class and a part of the grade was how you did in the tournament in that class. So she got her only B in racquetball. And she was she was the kind of student as well. It wasn't like she was the kind that makes you go, uh, because you know, she was the kind of student that when she got an A, it was a ninety-eight or a hundred. I mean, it was just like that. So she's just this brilliant, wonderful, caring person that I'm just so privileged to have been married to for twenty five years. But she has this one amazing weakness. I get these phone calls on a regular basis from her. Honey, I'm lost. Can you get me to where I need to go? And, I'll, you know, the first question is, okay, where are you? She goes, well, I don't know. Well, drive long enough so you can tell me what street you're driving on. She goes, okay, so I'm driving on Dublin Granville. And I say, well, which direction you're going? She goes, well, it's cloudy, and even if it wasn't, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you which direction. I think I'm going north. <laughs> so I don't have to explain that one, do I? <laughs> And she's the type of person, even when you're with her, when you tell her, turn left or right, she takes both hands off the steering wheel and goes, which hand's my ring on? (laughs) So she can figure it out. She's just spatially challenged. And it's so difficult, especially on the phone, to give somebody directions when they don't know where they are. And today's message is all about locating where you are and starting there. It's kind of one of those duh titles, you know, I mean, I'm the one who made it up, but it's kind of one of those duh things, locating where you are and starting there, like, really? That's a brilliant statement, isn't it? But so often we go through life at the speed of busyness, and we just keep going, and we go, and we go, and we go, and we never pause to locate where we're at. We kind of avoid it. We, we kind of run through the day and we kind of go, oh, man, I'm not really doing great as a parent here. I didn't do this well. Or, oh, man, I messed this up at work. Or, sheesh, I'm not doing great as a spouse. And, and I could really... We don't really pause a lot to locate where we are in our lives with God, with our relationships with other people. And it becomes very difficult for us to get where we want to go if we don't know where we're starting from and that's really what today's today's message is about and and, and it and it, it it's illustrated it's begun it, it begins to get be illustrated by jesus in this, this amazing interaction with this guy who comes to him who thinks he knows where he's at in life and he thinks jesus is deceived and he wants to trick him to prove that he's deceived and that jesus doesn't know where he's at when when in reality this man doesn't know where he's at and 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 this parable that Jesus tells in conjunction with this interaction gives us this this same thing that we've been talking about in our own lives throughout this whole series. The fact that if we don't understand who we are deeply inside, if we're not in touch and connected to who we are and we're not taking that contemplatively and deeply before God, then we will live life at the pace of busyness, conform to whatever's in front of us rather than what we feel like God wants to lead us into and where God wants to take us. And Jesus, if we find this story in, in Luke 10, and it starts off this way. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And this expert in the law is like a, like a religious ethics professor or a guy with a PhD in languages and theology and all this kind of stuff. This is a really smart guy. And, and he says, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. You see, loving God, Jesus, reinforms us here that loving God is inseparable from loving people. And if it's inseparable from loving people, then how we handle our emotions and how we direct those to care for other people and deal with them internally so that we can care for other people instead of being driven by them has a great deal to do with our spirituality and our healthiness and our wholeness. But it goes on to say, but but this man wanted to justify himself because something in Jesus' response to him made him feel uncomfortable. We don't know exactly what it was, but something made him feel uncomfortable. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor trying to justify himself? And Jesus responds with this this story that's become famous. and, and, And the story starts with this man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And if you understand this road, it's a road about 18 miles long and it's, it's steep canyons and steep descents as you go down from Jerusalem through the mountains to Jericho. And, and this road was, was known to be a dangerous road because it had cliffs along the side of it and caves in the side of the hills and the cliffs and robbers would hide there and you would, you would get regularly robbed on that road. So he's telling this story in a way that they can really fully relate to because this man had probably walked that road before. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And then the story goes on in verse 31 and 32 to say this man laying beside the beside the road, just beaten bloody and, and in desperate situations, this, this priest and this Levite, these two guys who were used to preaching sermons on love, were, were these two guys who in their day would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. I mean, these guys knew faith and knew religion. These guys were experts, and they come down, and they do the whole thing of seeing him and walking to the other side and walking around and walking by. And we don't know really from the story at all why they did that. It could have been a number of reasons. It could have been they were busy and they were hurried and they, they didn't have time. It could have been they felt overwhelmed by the, the, the amount of need and not knowing how to care for it. It could, have, it could have been some sort of a religious thing that they felt like if they touched them, they'd become unclean. We don't know what it was. But we do know this about them, that they were clearly disconnected from their, from their emotions. And their emotions were clearly disconnected from their faith in God because they walked around and they didn't stop and they didn't care. And then Jesus goes on to talk about this Samaritan who stops and picks him up and bandages his wounds and takes him to the inn and pays for the guy's expenses and leaves him there and says, take care of him and I'll come back and if there's more I'll pay for more as well. And and the shock of this parable that Jesus is telling is the fact that he makes this Samaritan the hero. Because Samaritans in that day, to Jews, were despised. Jews considered Samaritans to be going to hell, literally. They were the enemy, they were despised, they were horrible. They were the person who was farthest away from being godly that you could think about in their minds. And think about that yourself. How shocked would you be if you took the person that you think in your sphere of relationships is furthest away from God, the most annoying, difficult, hard to get along with person, and you saw them in the story, and Jesus not only talked about them, but made them the hero of the story. That's the shock that you would experience if you were listening to Jesus tell this story at the time. And Jesus then asks the religious leader after he tells the story, which, is, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law, uh, law replied, I'm sure sheepishly and embarrassed, and it's kind of one of those duh questions. You're going, really, you can ask me this stupid of a question type of a thing, kind of like the title of the message. He says, the one who had mercy on him is his neighbor. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And this story of the Good Samaritan, even though many people today don't know the origins of the story, this term Good Samaritan is used across cultures all over the world because of the power and impact of this story. But this story reveals for us two myths, two myths that we believe so often about life. The first one we could phrase in a couple different ways. We could could say it this way, say that we believe that growing into an adult physically means, especially if I become an expert and if I become successful and respectful in the community, that that means I am emotionally mature. Put another way, the myth is when I accept Christ and he comes to live in me, growing into an emotionally mature adult is a natural thing. And those two things for us are myths. They don't happen naturally. Becoming an emotionally mature adult does not happen naturally. Now physically we grow into an adult usually naturally, right? Intellectually, because our culture values education so much, we usually go on and get degrees and we become mature as adults intellectually. And and we even learn enough about controlling our emotions to become successful most of the time in our businesses. And yet, we still struggle so much with the negative stress in life that, that just zaps us, that we just can't figure out how to deal with this relationship or how to make it better or, or there's, the, there's the tension of, of how we can love others well because if we can't deal with our own emotions, we can't love others well and we find ourselves living life Connected in some ways, but in other ways, disconnected. We'll love our, we'll love our spouse and, and that we'll be connected to him this way, or we'll love our family we'll be connected to him this way, but this part of our life, this part of our heart, we hold off and we live disconnected with our relationships around us. And even our relationship with God, we hold back portions of our heart and we live disconnected instead of whole and mature. And sometimes we just don't handle our emotions well, and we all talk about how we take out our stress unjustly in an un, in an unrighteous way on other people. We all know it. We all go home. We've all had to repent to our spouse. We've all had to repent to our kids about taking out because we aren't dealing with who we are and our emotions effectively. And the myth number two is that American Christians' ability to love is on average more than those outside the church. And that should be true, shouldn't it? It should be true, but we're all way too familiar with the fact that, that the statistics in our own lives bear out the fact that, that we're not that much different than the culture. We have the same divorce rates. We have the same abuse rates. We have the same rates of other lesser sins that are going on. And so much of it comes down to what we've been talking about in this series. God's inviting us to face our junk honestly. To look at it honestly. To locate where we are, no matter where that is. And grow from there. And learn from there. To learn to love by knowing where we are and starting there. And some of what we're talking about today, you may build into your regular time as you start to practice Sabbath. You may take what we're talking about today and, and build it into your time once every other month or once every three months or twice a year. But, but this is another important thing that we're talking about today. We're talking about today the idea of assessment, the idea of taking stock, the idea of taking inventory, of, of asking ourselves and what that, what that constitutes is and the, the whole theme of what I'm talking about today is, is where in your life do you have a regular p- habit of allowing yourself to be asked questions, either by an inventory or by other people in your life that you normally wouldn't ask yourself, and dealing honestly with the answers to those questions. Because when we live life at the pace of busyness, we just keep running through life, and we're only dealing with what's right in front of us, and we're only dealing with what we want to deal with because we don't have time to slow down and deal with this thing over here, and so we just say, no, I don't want to face that question. I don't want to deal with that pain. I don't want to deal with that relationship that isn't where I want it to be. So we just keep running through life. And part of what we talked about last week is building rhythm into our life of slowing down. And part of what we're talking about today is filling some of that rhythm with regular times where we allow ourselves to be asked a broad range of questions that we wouldn't normally ask ourselves to help us locate where we truly are, to listen to God, to say, you're here, I want you to start there, and here's the next step. One of the hardest parts of that for us is is not even so much the fact of finding out where we are. There's assessments, there's people in our lives we could ask questions, and we could find out where we are. But the hard part for many of us is not finding out, It's it's coping with the reality and admitting the reality of where we're at. Now in a moment, if you want to start doing this, I'm going I'm to be talking while you're doing this. There's yellow sheets of paper at the end of, your, end of your rows. What I'd like you to do is grab those and pass them down and everybody take one and make sure everybody's got a pen. There's some of these uh, little baskets by the rows that have pens in it. If you could just make sure you get a pen as well. This whole idea of assessment, though, is, is a very biblical thing. It's not just a psycho babble thing. It's not just something we're talking about to have a cool message. It's a very biblical thing. And l- let me just read three scriptures that get at it. Proverbs 7.1 says this, it says, Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Joshua 1.8 says this, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do what is written in it. Then you will prosper. And prosper is not this word about financial only. It's about all of life being blessed. Then you will prosper and be successful. And Psalm 1, 1, through 2 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That verse 1 is an inventory in and of itself for us to ask. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers or brings fullness to all areas of our life. And here's, here's the point. In each one of these verses, God is instructing us to keep his teachings, to keep an inventory of the list of things he defines as right and wrong, of loving and not loving, of good and not good, of, of things that bring prosperity and things that don't, to keep a list of those things in front of us so that we will regularly keep them as the apple of our eye and we will look at them and allow regular times for him to speak into our lives on a broad range of, of questions that affect all of life that's what these verses are saying that's the reason it's so important to memorize to meditate to know the word and to review it consistently and keep it in front of us all the time and the tool today that i've given you is is just a little bit different it asks questions that are based upon biblical concepts And I want you to take just a moment. We're going to just take about two to three minutes of silence. And I want you to actually take the inventory. And on the first page with all the questions, I think there's 13 questions maybe. Just go with your first gut response. Where do I fit one to four in relation to that question or that statement? One being this is not true of me at all and this is very true of me. And then when you're done total up the scores for each one of those columns, The to total up the, abs- to the total score you've got, and then transfer it to the back. And I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes to do that of silence. Go ahead. So here's what I'll bet happened for some of you. I bet some of you didn't like some of the questions, and you especially didn't like your response to it, right? Probably? And some of you on the back side, when you actually had to grade yourself as emotional adult, emotional adolescent, or emotional child, or emotional infant, probably didn't like the response you got, did you? Now here's the deal. How do we deal with feedback in a way that's healthy? How do we deal with inventories in a way that's healthy so we grow from them? Because no inventory outside of God's inventory of us is going to be perfect, Right? So if we're going to live this habit, we're going to have to deal with the idea of imperfection and we're going to have to deal with the idea that we're going to get sometimes angry at how this state talks about us. And it may or may not be 100% true. We're going to have to deal with the fact that a lot of times when we face these things and trying to locate where we are, we, we, we come up against this sense of guilt or shame or, sheesh, that's all the further I am when we take on this pressure to perform. And often when we read the Scripture and review the Scripture, we have that same reaction. But Proverbs 3 says this, it says, My son, my daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son, he delights in. It's so easy whenever we go through inventories to respond in anything but a sense of feeling loved and a sense of feeling delighted in and instead to go to anger or guilt or shame or avoidance or pressure to perform, to please. Martin Luther, a great man in history, one of the greatest reformers of the church in the 1500s, if I'm remembering my history right, forgive me if I'm a century off. Martin Luther struggled with this a lot he wrote about the fact that he constantly, even as he was towards the end of his life leading reform, he struggled with despondency. He struggled with taking stock of who he was and dealing with where he was in life. And, and even got to the point sometimes, even late in his life, where he, he would struggle with, God, are you really real? I know you're real, but are you really real? Because I don't feel it now. And he he struggled with stuff like this. And And he struggled so much with guilt, even though he was the person who trumpeted and and, and reclaimed the biblical concept that that we're saved by grace, unmerited grace, that God loves us so much that we're saved by grace. And he preached that all his life, and yet he struggled with this idea of falling prey to guilt and shame whenever he took stock of his own life. And he developed this way of approaching the Bible that I just want to share with you because it can be part of, maybe part of yours. Because when we read the Bible, we all, we all get a sense of instruction or maybe when we do it in an, an inventory, it'll give us a sense of instruction and some of it's right and, and, and we, we need to write that down. So his way of going about doing inventory and reading the Bible was to write down what he thought God was saying to him, what God was asking him to do, expecting God to speak to him and change his life every time he approached him. And then, normally, because he'd go to guilt and shame and and performance, he decided to insert a different step. And the second step was thanksgiving. So let's go back to Psalm 1, what we read earlier, where maybe we're reading that and maybe we feel like the instruction that God's giving us there is that we're spending way too much time around people who are cynical And we're mocking and it's not healthy for our relationship with others and it's not healthy for our relationship with God. Maybe that's the instruction God gives you out of that passage. Or maybe the instruction he gives you out of the passage is, Man, I'm not making enough room in my life to spend time with him. I'm not slowing down enough to, to meditate on who he is, and therefore I feel dry all the time instead of, instead of feeling like this tree that's by streams of water and strong and healthy and, and full of life. And, and so maybe the instruction is you need to slow down and spend time with him. Whatever the instruction is, Luther, instead of going to the guilt and the performance, went to Thanksgiving, and he would actually write down and say, God, thank you so much that you love me so much to invite me to be a tree by living water, not to live life dry. Thank you that you're going to help me find the strength to live that way. And he'd start reframing, before he fell into guilt, God's true heart towards him, which is a son who loves him, who delights in him, who's instructing him because he wants good for you. And then he would go to confession. Because confession is important. In fact, for many of us, we will never get this whole inventory thing down unless we confess to others and learn this practice of confession. The Bible says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be condemned, healed. Confess so that you may be healed. Why is that? Well, we've already talked about it earlier in the series, and we've talked about family of origin stuff for us. We all grew up in systems where we knew what we knew, and we don't even realize some of the dysfunction. We walk through life just assuming the distortions that we grew up with, and we have these blind spots. And the only way they will ever be exposed is to have this habit of inventory, and to have the habit of confessing, and have the habit of other people giving feedback into our lives to expose the blind spots in our lives. Confession is so important. It's the, it's the practice, it's the biblical practice that opens the door to feedback in our life from others because it goes on to say, confess and pray for one another, support one another, direct each other to God and his life in the process. It opens the door to move past things into freedom. And this final point that he put up was, was application. Application. He said so every time you confess every time you feel like God says something to you then say write down one thing I can do in the next today not 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 your not your whole list of 20 things you got to do to fix this but one thing I can do today to respond to this in obedience one thing I can do today or tomorrow that I can respond because it's in obedience that freedom comes having this ability to be open and turning to God, which is this first habit, taking the stuff to God, seeing Him rightly in His instruction, seeing Him rightly in the feedback. Even as you take this inventory, the things that make you mad, taking that first to God and saying, God, where are you in this? Is there truth in this for me? And do you want to work on this right now? The second habit is learning to live life with an open-heartedness towards feedback from others. It's a hard thing. It's a very hard thing for us to do because feedback from others can be amazingly right and, warm, and warming to us, right? We've gotten feedback from people that just, it warms us, it sets us free. We go, oh, I can finally understand. We've gotten feedback from others that we know is right, and it's extremely painful for us to deal with. And we get feedback from others that is partially right, partially wrong, sometimes all wrong, that's also painful. And the difficulty in life is learning to live life open-hearted because our response so often to feedback is to close our hearts off and to protect ourselves and to stay over in a path and, and, and just and shut ourselves off from it because it hurts too much. And God's inviting us to an open-heartedness. And he's inviting us to friendship at a, at a level that many of us have not experienced. Proverbs 27.6 says this, Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And yet, so much of your church experience and so much of my church experience has been churches that define love as nice. And niceness becomes this thing where we don't talk directly, we don't offend anybody, we're people-pleasing, we avoid difficult conversations, we don't ever say what we really think, and and the problem with that that is that the Bible says that's like multiplying kisses, and we call that friendship, but we're actually being an enemy to one another when we do that because we're allowing people we love and care about to walk through life without feedback, to expose blind spots, or to even break them from the busyness of life to pause and address something they really even know. And God's inviting us to to a depth of friendship that is so much deeper than that. A depth of friendship where we trust that the wounds of a friend are true. Whether those wounds are right, or partially right and partially wrong, or all wrong, that we learn to still live in relationship with a faithfulness, And an open heartedness that invites feedback. And sometimes the reality, too, is that enemies give us feedback and it's not true and it hurts us. Being open to feedback risks all of these scenarios. And we have a choice of either being closed or living open hearted. Of, of bringing the emotions into contemplative surrender to God and, and staying open or closing ourselves up and just continuing to live a busy life and avoiding the difficult, painful things. And there's this amazing story in 2 Samuel 16 of this amazingly dysfunctional King David that illustrates why God calls him a man after his own heart. And the context of the story is Absalom. Absalom is David's son, and if you know the story, Absalom leads, leads a rebellion against David. And it's such a strong, powerful rebellion that David has to flee Jerusalem quickly because there's no, it's not even worth staying to fight. He's going he's to be overwhelmed. And so we see David fleeing with all of his special forces around him and the military people and the family and the advisors just trying to get away from Jerusalem, not even trying to fight, just running as fast as they can. And in this story in 2 Samuel 16, we see David and his men walking around. David's surrounded by his men walking by this big hill, this big cliff. And in the story, we see this character named Shimei, who doesn't exactly have the greatest intelligence, come to the top of the hill. I mean, one guy coming to the top of the hill, starting to curse David and throw rocks and throw dirt at him and all of his special forces. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And it doesn't take very long for one of David's men to come to him and say, just let me cut this dog in pieces and bury him and send him away because he's such an evil, bad dude. And and this is David's response in 1611. He says, leave him alone. Let him curse. And then if you read the following verses from that, David's basically, in summary, is basically saying, because who knows, he may be right. And if this is feedback from God, and if it's really from God what he's saying, then I need to hear it. Because if I don't hear it and don't don't receive it open-hearted and ask God whether he wants to tell me that, then then I'm a fool. But if I open myself to that and stay open and, and listen to it, then even if I am wrong, God will see my heart and restore me and heal me. And if he's wrong and I'm open, God will still restore me. And the reality is, the man's curses are wrong. But David teaches us a lesson of staying open and of this this skill in ourselves of trusting God's love for us so much that we take even the most painful wrong kinds of feedback and we willingly, patiently put them on the shelf in front of us and say, God, that's yours. Show me what you want. I trust you to sort this out of what is true and what isn't. And we are able to respond with this non-defensive posture and this open posture and friendship posture before God instead of closing ourselves off in bitterness, even to the most dastardly kind of feedback. Some questions. Where are you today? This is about assessment. Where are you today? We've talked about emotions as a gift from God and the fact that we need to learn to take time to feel them. Where are you in being aware of your emotions and and actually allowing yourself to feel the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful in your emotions? Where are you in the dark times when when God doesn't seem to be there and the questions far outnumber everything and you just don't know where he is and don't know the answer? Are, are, Are you staying pressing in? Are you staying close to him even though you don't feel anything? Are you pressing through that or Or are you running and avoiding? Where are you in that? Where are you in your family dynamics that we talked about in terms of being able to assess, how did my family actually deal with emotion and conflict and how did they express love and withhold love and how has that impacted me? Where are you in understanding that and your willingness to take a look at that? And how does that affect you in the way you express emotions and deal with them? Where are you in dealing with your loss and grief as we talked about? Are you avoiding that or or are you pressing in and, and allowing God to work through you and enlarge your soul through loss and grief? Where are you in building a healthy rhythm in your life? of regular stops throughout the day, the daily office to pause and, and allow God's space to work? Where are you in regard to Sabbath and taking time off to rest and, and experience the joy that God wants to give you and contemplate and allow him to speak in silence and quietness to you? Where are you in your regular habits of, of taking stock of where you're at, of locating where you are? realistically, honestly, allowing yourself to have questions asked of you that you don't normally ask of yourself and asking God, where are you in this? Being open-hearted to feedback requires that we're honest and open with one another. It requires that we confess to one another and we pray and we, and we support one another even if even when the feedback's wrong that we stay open in relationship. It requires that we, we're lovingly direct to friends instead of multiplying kisses because we're afraid of the difficult conversations and being enemies. It requires that we're faithful in feedback to friendship. It requires that we, it ultimately requires that we settle this issue in our own lives of, of are we really surrendered to God? Do we trust that he can take all those things and sort them through for us? Do we trust that he's a good father who wants to discipline us because he loves us, because he delights in us, because he's smiling at us? Have we really settled those issues with God? Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you are that loving father to us. And I pray for... All of us, because we all face moments when we don't when we don't trust that, when we don't believe that. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to grasp a hold of that more deeply. And Lord, for for all of us, that you would help us to locate where we are, that you'd help us to locate the areas of our life where we're disconnected, where we're holding ourselves separate from you or separate from others, and allow us Lord, teach us, lead us to open those areas of our lives up. Teach us to trust you in the midst of feedback. To not be scared of it because of embarrassment or shame. Teach us, Lord, to live open-hearted that we would be a people who really know friendship well with you and with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you'd love somebody to pray for you, we would love to do that. There'll be some people hanging out around here who will do that for you. Otherwise, would you do this? Would you grab a bunch of these and throw them in uh, Halloween candy bags and start inviting people to Christmas? And would you uh, sign up and be a part of the Election Day outreach? Let's bless our community as God blesses us to be better friends. God bless. Have a great day.